This is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Help Show. This month has been, well, an indeed interesting month. Going down memory lane and revisiting all the great episodes, but the first episode, Silent Voices, will always mean the most. This is how The Help Show journey began, and also I lost one of my dearest friends, Layton Andrew. I miss you, and I love you. The Help Show is and always will be built on love and integrity, honesty, and a little bit of laughter. I want to thank everyone that listened to the show. The team will continue to grow and allow us to spread a little more love. I want to thank Michelle McCamey. I want to thank Tiffany Lindley. I want to thank Jonathan Westbrook. I want to thank Sinquah. I want to thank Damien and Taylor um, Elliott. I want to thank um, Isaiah Suffren. I want to, and I want to thank Malin. But also, I really want to thank all the co-hosts that came and did the work, and you know, and helped me put out all these interviews as well. Um, and then also, thank you to thank you to all the guests that appeared and and helped spread the knowledge and all the. And, you know, and spread awareness of what's going on in our communities. Thank you so much. But I really want to say my favorite thing, TTT, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Because without each of you, there would be no 52 episodes. Thank you, guys. But on another note, let's turn up. It is September. September's coming around, and guess what we're doing? We are throwing our one-year anniversary for the Help Show. This is amazing. 52 episodes, one year later, and look what we have. We got a party. I'm so excited about the whole party. Man, I'm so excited. I'm excited. Well, what I'm going to do... I'll tell you about the party, but you got to follow me on Instagram and you got to follow me on Facebook and all the social media so you can know where the party's going to be. I can tell you this. The party is going to be, wait for it, wait for it, in the Victory Park area in Dallas, Texas. So, if you continue to tune in and listen to the, um, the podcast once a week, I'll give you bits and bits and bits, but I can tell you this. It is September 28th. Okay, and I can tell you this too. You can go to Eventbrite and you can look up THS Anniversary. It's going to be capital T, capital H, capital S, space, anniversary. Make sure you capitalize the A with anniversary. And guess what? You can purchase tickets because it's going to be all you can drink and all you can eat events and everything else. I can tell you that. How about that? <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Help Show. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Help Show. Hi, this is Nayetta. Hi, this is Sin. And welcome to the, the Help, Help Show. Show. Does it make a difference if you live or die? Did you know? According to save.org, there is one death by suicide in the U.S. every 12 minutes. This is The Help Show, and for the month of September, we'd like to dedicate our four-part series podcast to SPAM 2016, which stands for Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, 
on behalf of our dear friend, Lane Andrew, who ended his life approximately four months ago. For our Silent Voices series part one, we would like to introduce to you Lane Andrew through an interview conducted with his dear mother, Miss Vanessa Hudson, and lovely sister, Miss Kenyatta Young. Hi, Nyetta. This is me. This is my fourth time calling you just to wish you a very, very, very special happy birthday. I know you're out having fun in Miami, but I want to make sure I let you know happy birthday. And I personally called you because I can't come see you. I personally called you to tell you happy birthday. I know you're getting older and wiser. I mean, you don't look as good as me, but, you know, things you can't prevent. So have fun. Bye. Love you. So, um, I am with Layton's mother and sister. I'm with Miss Vanessa Hudson and Kenyatta Young. And I want to say thank you so much for interviewing with me um, about um, Layton. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a couple questions. First of all, this is a touchy subject, which I understand. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Again, thank you. So, um, what was Layton like as a kid? Um, he was happy most of the time. He was he was a very happy kid, okay. except when he started going through his depression. Okay. Mm-hmm. Talked all the time, all all the time. It didn't meet any strangers. Just constantly talking. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, well, if somebody kidnapped him, they bring him back. <laughs> because he talked way he talked all the time. too much. <laughs> he just talked, talked all the time. Yes. Didn't know when to stop. Didn't know when to stop. <laughs> <laughs> So I have another question for you, um, Miss Vanessa. And I was talking to um, Kenyatta about it. We went to the um, Italian restaurant and we talked about um, Layden cutting himself. Mm -hmm. What age did Layden start cutting himself that you were aware of? Uh, He was in high school. Mm-hmm. I thought he was 13. He might have been 13. He might have been, been 13. He might have been 13. He might have been 13. Yeah. Because it was before he went to the hospital. This was his first time. Yeah, that was his first time. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. 13 mm-hmm. when he first went to the hospital. But I was also told not too long ago that he had a friend named Erica and she cut herself. So this was his way of being in the in crowd too. I don't know if that's true or not. But I didn't know that the, by the cutting of himself, he did, did lead to his, uh, uh, his first time trying to kill himself. Oh wow! Taking pills. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so did did you see any warning signs besides you know um, him cutting himself? No, I didn't. You know what about you, Kenyatta? Mm-hmm. No. no. Uh, first of all, I was what, late was thirteen. Yeah, I wasn't I there. Mm-hmm. Oh, you weren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I was there. I was. I was. I was. Um, I was. I wasn't in my mama's house by then. I was out. Mm-hmm. I was grown. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And did. And did you ever feel that he was hiding himself from you or hiding himself from things or didn't let you know? Yes. Things? Yes. And what, and what age did he, did you feel, did you always feel this way or did you like sometime, like what age do you Maybe think? Maybe when he was about 13 or 14. I, and I, honestly, I think what happened is um, by Leighton, when Leighton came out the closet for being gay and, and everything. He was so young. And he was so young, and I always felt like he, it was just a lot for him to go through. And then he felt like that the support that he should have had wasn't there because I didn't tell him I loved him. But he felt like I went uh, biblical on him. 
and he felt like that. I did, and he felt like that I shouldn't have done that. But in saying that, in 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 defense of myself, which there's no defense, um, I didn't know how to react to that either. You know, this is thrown into my face. Your son just comes. Mama, I want to talk to you. Okay, lady, you gonna talk to your dad? Well, he's dad. Don't talk to your mom. I just want you to know I'm gay. Oh, and that's the conversation went. You know, we sit out in the garage and I'm going, okay. <laughs> you know, and my thing is, well, how do you, re- being a parent, how do you react to this? And like I said, I told him I loved him, but he felt like the support that he craved or that he should have had was not given to him at that particular time. Okay. So, we had a lot of issues behind behind that. He had a lot of issues. And like I said, I knew that... Uh, my child being a black man going have things that he would have to go through in life. Not necessarily, well also being a black person in society, the things that a person, a black person man has to now have to deal with in society, then on being on top of that and being gay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, well if God loves you regardless. I thought regardless of whether you're gay or you're straight, but I don't want you to have to go through the things that you're have, having to go through. So, but that's what we have to think of. Okay. Um, also, so when did he start prescriptions? And do you think that had anything to do with the suicide? Because what I've been reading and learning is they give them so many different medications. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the medications may make them depressed, even more depressed. I he started taking, but when he first started taking, he took so much medication. Remember the medication he took the first time he tried to kill himself. Some kind of pills that he take, took. Of course, when he went to school, mm-hmm. they called me and told me that he had tried. To, it was suicide to him. How much medication? His pills he had taken, which was somebody else's prescription um, that he had got from some other kid at school that was selling the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to before he could get back to school. I had to have him checked into a hospital. So he was checked in the hospital in Oregon. Uh, and then, of course, he had to take prescription medication. So in answer to your question, I've always felt like they put the children on medication when they're depressed. But if you read the side effects and everything, one of the side effects is of treating suicide, of, of treating depression, is the medication. So but the medication also makes you suicidal. So I have for both of you, um, what message would you want to share with the world about, you know, just um, being aware? Um, what would you like to like a message that you want to give to the world about, you know, about suicide and and about what would you what would you advise? What would you what would be your advice? I don't know. I I think depression it affects it can affect all of us. Any of us it can, depression has no color. And being a black woman in the in they've we've always felt like in my generation and even up to maybe to even Kenyatta's generation. We don't want to talk about it. The black folks don't get depressed. Yeah, we get depressed. We, it, it, it's it's hard to live in the world and not get depressed. Things will come throw at you, be thrown at you, and, and you get depressed. So it's real. It has no color. But be aware, because if a person is going through it, you may not know. 
may camouflage their feelings and and just be aware because of all the bullying out, out here and all the negativity and you just never know what another person's going through and just be aware of how you talk to people how you treat, treat people, people. Yeah. basically learn to love one another because that's what it's all about learn learn to love one another and realize that we're all human we all make mm -hmm. mistakes and that no one is perfect yeah. and just and just learn to love one another and, and be kind to one another i like that what about mm -hmm. you miss kenyatta you did say something didn't you? Yeah. and i was thinking about this earlier today because i was like i said i was crying earlier uh, when I was taking to get my car. Mm. 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. You know, it's like you want people to um, to mm -hmm. I guess you, like my mom said, you want people to be aware of other people and know you know, just because you see somebody smiling, give them a smile. You know, it, don't, it doesn't hurt you to smile or say hello to somebody, ask them how their day is going or how you doing. Right. It, does, it takes five seconds out of your day to do that. And you might, they might be upset or whatever, but you giving that next person, saying hi, how you doing? Was, I'm glad to see you. Or, you know, be nice or cordial or offer somebody a smile. You never know what that does for somebody. You never know how that brightens up. Um, that individual that day because you don't know what they're going through you you're not walking in their shoes so sometimes you just have to you know be kind to somebody just off them a smile you never know what that smile like that you really don't yeah that's true yeah. you know what i can say me personally um from this process of losing Layton, i think i just learned to just listen more mm -hmm. yeah to, to listen more, mm -hmm. to um, to be cognizant about the things that I do say. Mm -hmm. Yes. To really respect respect people's feelings mm -hmm. and how they feel. Um, I just that made me. It does. It just now I sit down and I I talk to people, mm -hmm. and now I sit down and I really truly come from a a very genuine place. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I can be in my feelings. Yeah, trust me. <laughs> I really can. But what I learned about Layden, because I did love Layden a lot, um, that man just just be kind. And don't be it's don't be it's judgmental. It's not good to judge. Yeah. Uh, because I think only God has that right and that place to judge. And I just, I just don't think that's a good thing because you should not do that, period. Because everybody makes mm -hmm. mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And uh, I think God should be our judge. I think so, too. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. It's so hard for people. And it's just, I, you know. That's people. That's, people I think general. that's people yes. in general mm -hmm. have a tendency to be judgmental mm -hmm. with people. It's just, it's in, it's ingrained. It's mm -hmm. just something that you do, period. Right. It's just, that's just, that's in your nature until you get older and realize that you can't do, that's not the way you should be. Right. Because the way I am today is not what I, I wasn't even that way three years ago. I wasn't that way four years ago. I wasn't that way five. My daughter has really changed me for the better. Mm -hmm. Because you never know what a person is going through. Mm -hmm. 
And that's a true, and that's a true statement. Walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, and you might know. That's why I said we was talking last week to my cousin, and I've told you this once before about Layton. Um, I, I don't, I know why he did it. I don't understand it. I don't because I've I've never felt that way. I have never, um, I have never been to the point where. Now, I get up and don't want to get up and just don't want to go, go to work. I just want to get an extra hour of sleep. Right. But I have never been in a place in my life where I say, I don't want to wake up. Right. I just want to lay here and go to sleep and go upstairs right. to be my father. I've never, I have never felt that way in my, I've ne- now I've been like upset and and not depressed, but just upset with the th- way things are going in my life. Or it's not doing this, but I have never been to the point where I've been so depressed that I can't see my way through something, or that I'm going to give up on life. I've never been that way about it because it's part of being. You're gonna hit knocks, you're gonna get knocked down a couple of times, but you got to get back up. So I've never felt that way. So I think that's something that um, I'm trying to get better with because there are people who do feel that way. Right. So a lot of people, and they don't want to tell you that. That's why I saw that I was seeing that um, TV show. It was a commercial about it right after late, and I was like, oh, this is not a good time <laughs> to see this. And it was talking about being major depressed. And now, like I said, I took plenty of classes about it. Right. And I knew about my brother, but I still didn't know he felt that he was still to that point mm-hmm. where he was going to actually take mm-hmm. his life and be done mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And, uh, he said, and when he left, he said he left it. He was tired, he was exhausted, and he was broken. And I told to one of my cousins, I said, well, you know, Layton is broken. And when someone is broken, you as another human being, I don't think you put that person back together. I don't think we have that ability to do that. Uh, whether it be with medication or anything, I think that's something that has to happen with inside us and with the help of the Lord. Okay. So, and I honestly, and he would honestly know that he was broken. And he said he, um, he just felt like every day that he had to go, he had gone through so much and no one at such a young age should have to go through what he had to go through every day of his life. So, and uh, that's how he felt. So, and I, I think the pain was just unbearable for him. And he just couldn't take the pain anymore. But I also feel like that uh, when uh, his best friend, Kat, did, killed herself, it sent him in a downward spiral. You know, he just could not put himself back from it. And he, he had a lot of other friends. He had a lot of friends. But I think Kat was the person that was there to kind of pull him from, because like he said, she was his soulmate. He kind of felt like that they were kindled spirits. And he that, told me that uh-huh, too. Yeah, and that he, she could talk to him. He could talk to her about anything. And once she, and he, she wouldn't judge him. And once she left, he didn't have that connection to another person. Whether it be, he wasn't, we don't want to be us or anyone. He just, that was the connection that he lost. And I guess he felt like that he just couldn't get that connection with anyone else because of the things that he had been through. Right. That even as a mother, I would say, well, ain't you doing so and so and so and so. You know, right. but in some shape, form, or fashion, I was judging him and telling him this was not right or whatever. Right. Even though I may not have been, but he felt like. Right. So. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That all make sense? It makes plenty of sense. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. 
I just feel like, you know, when you told me about, you know, about the letter mm-hmm. that he that he wrote you mm-hmm. and what he wanted to tell his friends. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to say you want to read it to me. You want to read it? Yeah. Okay. To my friends. Okay. To my friends. Your unconditional love is what saved me. If there's any message that I can leave behind, it is this. Be kind to one another. You will never know. What the the battles another person is fighting. Strive to be different. If we were all the same, the world would be a pretty boring place. Let everything you do be done in love, Corinthians 16, 14. I did my best to make this short and simple. I know this is hard, but please know that I'm at peace and I get to see my best friend again. The hardest thing to do in the world is to live in it. With all my love, Lady Andrew Clark. So the message I give everybody today is just be kind. Mm Miss Vanessa, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your soul with me. Um, Kenyatta, thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing your brother. You know, she's in the other room. Really? Who does this? Okay. And I'm here. I am. I wonder. You yes, Kenyatta. I wonder. I'll give me a hug. Oh, you're just awful. <laughs> I can't read. I'm not thank ready you. to read it. Yeah. If he had known how much he was loved, would he have wanted to say, I love some of the things I find in it? And I, I, you know, I forgive them. I forgave him a long time ago. And I understand. understand. And I I do believe, because I prayed and asked the Lord to take care of my baby. Yeah. I do believe. I don't. I know. Not believe. I know. He's in a better place. Yeah. No more suffering, no more pain. No more pain. Well, thank you, ladies, so much. For more information, visit us on our website at thehealthshow.com. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned. Do you have computer problems? Is your computer running slow? Did you forget your passcode? Okay, is it running slow because you've been downloading inappropriate things? Okay, I'm raising my hand. I've done it before. <laughs> Call Half Price Geeks. That's one eight seven 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 geeks And tell them the help show sent you. Hi, this is Nayetta. Hi, this is Sin. And welcome to The, the help, help Show. Welcome back to The Help Show. For our Silent Voices series part two, we would like to introduce Dr. Brad Swaw. Here he will discuss the relativity of overall wellness, seeking help, and playing an active role in treating those dealing with thoughts of suicide 
and how to prevent it. Hi, this is Nayeta with Brad Schwab. Um, thank you so much for interviewing with me. Um, so our topic is about suicide. Um, again, thank you so much. It's such a such a touchy, touchy subject. Absolutely. And um, I just want to get your professional view about you know about the issues of suicide. Um, so the first question I have for you, um, Brad. Do I call you Doctor Schwab, Brad? What would you like? You can call me Brad. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, how do you work through your own issues of wanting to commit suicide, Brad? Anytime we experience a sense of hopelessness or helplessness, it is important to admit that and reach out to friends. And often it is difficult when somebody is depressed because they may not have that motivation. But the more that we work to be emotionally healthy and stay on top of how we are feeling and coping, and we have that network of support, then that can prevent us getting to that point. Um, but certainly, it is okay to admit that we are struggling. Okay. Um, how do you help people with their therapy, with your, you know, in your practice with counseling? Mm -hmm. So suicide is, is not about wanting to die, actually. It's about wanting to end a pain or a problem. And so suicide is an escape route. And so when we're working with somebody who's had suicidal thoughts, the goal is to get them in the moment and do the next thing. The more that they can do the next thing and create a future minute by minute, then they're able to work through that dire state that they're in. And so we want to build a network of support and help the client make choices that are safe and are healthy. So what kind of pain is this, Brad? Like, is it like a, a pain that you like stick yourself with a pin? Is it like a, um, a counseling pain, like a bone pain? Or what kind of pain is it, do you know? Depression is about the brain and biochemistry. Okay. It can be influenced certainly by circumstances. Um, but we know that we are depressed when we have trouble sleeping or we sleep too much. We have a change in appetite. We begin to have uh, in thoughts of insecurity about ourselves, thoughts of, of death or harming ourselves. And so when those last uh, for a period of time and at an intense level, then that's the type of, of pain we're talking about, and that is depression. Um, so what are the many treatments that you offer, what the options that you offer? Well, certainly cognitive therapy is a form of therapy that helps clients to analyze their thoughts, uh, identify irrational thoughts, and replace those with rational thoughts. Certainly because of that physical aspect, that biochemical aspect of depression, we do believe it's important to have an appointment with a psychiatrist to assess whether medication might be of help. So medication and counseling together are shown to be very effective in helping with depression. So there's a continuum of care. Sometimes residential uh, care is important to stabilize and to get beyond that dangerous point. Um, so it's a matter of listening to the professional that you're going to and working to have a network of support around you. Okay. How likely is that the symptoms will return in the future? 
Depression is something that needs to be managed and treated over time. And so people can deal with a major depressive episode, but then recover and they may not experience those symptoms again. But if there's a history of depression in one's family and one has experienced depression, then it's important to, to be proactive and develop good habits in order to um, prevent a major depressive episode happening again. So, for example, like what can be done to prevent that from happening? Like what would you do, an example? Sure. Um, certainly being involved in a community, so church, a volunteer group that keeps you connected. Exercise, healthy diet, uh, many believe that meditation, which at its core is taking deep breaths, taking time for quiet each day, um, developing a routine, uh, volunteering, all of those positive behaviors that can help the emotion follow. Um, certainly counseling can be an ongoing to tool, an ongoing resource. And by implementing all of those self-care techniques, I believe that we're all in better shape. When family or friends ask how they can help with the recovery, um, what things would you suggest? Returning to normal as much as possible. So I do believe if somebody has had a suicide attempt um, or thoughts of suicide, very important to stay in touch with that individual. Um, it is up to the individual to heal and recover, but certainly help with problem solving, determining resources that might be of help. Um, overall, treating the person as a person and not isolating away from them because you're afraid that you're gonna say the wrong thing. You're, somebody dealing with depression needs the normal aspects and normal routines of life, and so we don't want to shy away from that you know somebody has a broken arm we jump to sign the cast and we ask and we send balloons if somebody's struggling emotionally we we need to give attention and not see that as something um, that we are uncomfortable with and therefore we ignore so you shouldn't really like push yourself in their lives neither push nor completely withdraw okay um is there a video or a book or any other printed literature that contains useful information about these symptoms or recovery plan? Is there a book sure. that you would say, you know, go read this or? The American Psychiatric Association has a website that has a lot of good basic facts about mental health. And so that is a good solid resource that then can point you to other resources. Okay. Um, are there lifestyle changes um, that can be made to speed up the recovery? Um, would I continue these changes just until I begin to feel better or the person starts to feel better or would they need to become a permanent part of an everyday routine? Self-care is important to become a part of our day-to-day -day routine for sure. Okay. And also, how can schools and communities work together to prevent suicide? Awareness is key. Um, so opportunities throughout a school year to learn about mental health, about mental illness, um, the attitude uh, that people can suffer and making sure we are not uh, making jokes about mental illness or mental health okay. and that somehow we do raise the issue in an educational format 
uh, or other helpful information. I think that those are key. I think it's important for people to know that they're not weak if they have a down mood or are feeling helpless or hopeless, that many people struggle. Um, around 20% of the general population any given year are experiencing some form of mental health challenge. And so it is prevalent and it is okay to reach out. It is okay to tell somebody when you're struggling it is not a sign of weakness. Well, this helped me out a whole lot. And I know that this awareness will help a lot of other people out. And I just want to say thank you again. Absolutely. Brad, Dr. Brad. Yes, thank you. And thank you. All right. For more information, visit us on our website at thehelpshow.com. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned. Join us next week on The Help Show for an exclusive discussion with Nayetta and Miss Tiffany Lindley on suicidal ideation. One, people don't really know their history like family does. And a lot of times, you know, we say judge, not we, we be judge, you know, in a Christian church, but people are judgmental. And family is judgmental because, hey, you're a reflection of me, you're my blood. But what I can say to them is hold that person accountable without judgment. How do you do that? Are you tired of that boss? Are you fed up with that bully? Are you annoyed with your mama? Well, you know what, guys? Check out the anger room on 3014 Cumbers. If you want to take your anger out, if you want to throw some plates, if you want to jump on some desk, if you want to write on some walls, graffiti on the walls, if, if you want to just take the frustration of sometime the day-to-day -day life, that if you actually <laughs> do what you really felt you wanted to do, you might be incarcerated, <laughs> go to the anger room. Again, that's 3014 Cumber Street. To make an appointment today, it's one 844 get mad And tell them the help show sent you.
problems. Is your computer running slow? Did you forget your passcode? Okay, is it running slow because you've been downloading inappropriate things? <laughs> okay, I'm raising my hand. I've done it before. <laughs> Call Half Price Geeks. That's 1-877-77-GEEKS. And tell them the help show sent you. This is Michael. And welcome to The The Help Help Show. Show. Welcome back, guys, and thank you for tuning in to our 10th episode in our June four-part series, Daddy Lessons. So today, guys, I have a really, really, really extra special guest for you. Special? Yes, very (laughs) special. She, her name is Kanidra Brown, and she is a family criminal law attorney, which we all need those in our lives, okay? Hello. (laughs) So since this month, we have the whole month of what june, june. Mm-hmm. just one month okay i know i know it's only i know, only I know. <laughs> yeah yeah for the for the father's day um session for daddy's lessons but we we brought Kanidra here today to you know educate and spread awareness how first of all it is important that fathers are daddies mm-hmm. <laughs> and that you guys have rights and she's going to educate you on that. She's going to educate me. She's going to educate both of us right, on yeah, that. Yeah, she's going to school us off. Yeah, she's going to school <laughs> us. So, Kanidra, tell the audience, who is Kanidra? Okay, so I'm Kanidra Brown. I was born and raised here in Dallas. Um, I grew up in Oak Cliff, educated in DISD schools. Okay. Um, I went to Rice University in Houston, but came back to Dallas to go to law school and to practice here because... Um, the interesting thing about me is that I did grow up with an incarcerated father, and okay. I grew up in a neighborhood where most of the males, most of the you know most of the older males were gone, either dead or incarcerated. Okay. And you know there are obviously incredibly systemic reasons for that, but there was also just a lack of general knowledge about attorneys, what they do, why they were needed in our neighborhood, so that our men, and now with the increasing. Um, number of black women who are being incarcerated right. why we need to be able to be back in these communities and be accessible and why our community needs to be knowledgeable about what's happening right. legally right okay. now and if, if the importance of lawyers or family lawyers or criminal lawyers hasn't hit you guys yet the state of the world are to let you know how important it is yeah. right. that attorneys yeah, who are aware of what's happening right. and why things happen systemically um, in their communities it's very very important okay. yeah that's awesome yeah so, Kanitra, mm-hmm. it is Kanitra, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure that we, you know our our, our our audience, you know, can pronounce yeah. your name right. Yeah, uh, you, you guys said like one of my aunts said, uh, and, okay. but I just I know like if my mom and my dad catch the show, they're like, why didn't she just tell them what her name was? So just, <laughs> <laughs> Kanitra with the T. Okay. Yeah. So Kanitra, uh, you you gave us a very good intro. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do and why? Um, r- right now, I'm the principal attorney of my own firm. I practice on the. the Monica, the law office of Kanitra Brown. I have a general practice, but most of my practice is family and criminal law. Um, it tends to be uh, what is needed in the community, especially among black young adults right now. It tends to be where the niche is um, 
or just generally, you know, when people need legal help, that tends to be right. what you're calling your friends about. Hey, do you know a family attorney? Right. Do you know an attorney who can take care of, you know, my tickets or who can get, you know, this charge reduced or something like that? So it tends right. to be what most people need a lawyer for. Right. for. Okay. So it tends to be the bulk of my business. Okay. <laughs> so you're not prepaid legal, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> we try to make sure. Sure. Let me be with every attorney. <laughs> Unless you're working with legal aid, it's prepaid legal. It's prepaid just, legal. You need to pay. You need to pay your lawyers ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get into that and, yeah. and its importance. Um, yes, you gotta yeah. pay your lawyers. You, you have to. Pay yeah, you have you to pay, pay them. them. That yeah. They go get their money though. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your experience of fathers when working with cases? Kenitra. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I've actually had a, a few clients who were fathers. Okay. Um, I've had clients who wanted custody, clients who were fathers who had physical custody, okay. but didn't have legal custody. And there's a difference between the two. Um, and I've had some who wanted custody and just didn't follow through. So just in general, from, from those experiences, what I've gotten from fathers um, is that I'm, I'm, and I don't, I don't want to say I don't want to it's make it sound like I'm victim blaming, but what what usually follows is fathers have a hard time, one, relinquishing control or, or figuring out that they're not in complete control over a situation mm-hmm. when they're in the family court system. No, we're not in control of it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's very difficult. Yeah. So you get frustrated. Yes, it is. And you get right. impatient. Um, so patience, the lack of patience is an issue that I've, mm-hmm. that I've dealt with. Okay. Um, Generally, how you think and logically, I can see how it makes sense. But over the long term, it it's detrimental to you when you want possession of your kids. Right. Um, is you don't want to pay for an attorney, or you don't want an attorney, or you balk initially when 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 fathers are pricing out attorneys, or when they're you know researching attorneys. Attorneys are going to give you their fees up front, mm-hmm. right? They're going to tell you, hey, I need $5,000, and they'll tell you it's a retainer. Right. And all you hear is, $5, you want $5,000 for, yeah. for, for me to show up at court one time, and I think that's too much money I can do right. it myself. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and the truth of the matter is, that $5,000 retainer is going to help that attorney file the right paperwork on your behalf. Okay. It's going to stretch out over months, maybe years of litigation. Um, it's Because it's not going all to them at one time. Right. Once you like, we have trust accounts that we have to keep money in and, and take money out of, you know, at a at a certain time, or you don't ask the attorney if he or she has payment plans. So you're here five thousand and think I don't have that, and then think, well, I don't need, I, I won't get an attorney. Right. Okay. Instead right. of asking, what are the ways that I can pay this off? Right, right, right. So there's that part, or you have it and you don't want to sacrifice it. Yeah. Because it's yeah. because to you. What's going to happen is you're, it's not going to work out in your favor anyway. And right. that, that is a lot of what I've seen is that you hear misinformation. You hear about, you know, your homeboy, your homegirl situation, right. what happened. And you, you tie their facts to yours. Right. Right. Yeah, those barbershop conversations. Right. right. And right. there's a lot of misinformation. Right. So you think, well, this is what happened to my homeboy. And it's almost the exact same way that it's happening with me and my child's mother. Right. Or, you know, my child's parents and my child's, you know, mother's grandparents if they don't live with her. So I don't even want to. I know how it's going to turn out for me. Mm. Right. And not recognizing that there's a human element in all of this. You know, there's a, you may be a different, a, with a different judge. Right. The facts of your case may be different. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, a lot of them, and as much as we say it, you have to tell your lawyers when you're in a family case. Mm. Tell them everything. 
that's the problem right there. Yeah. You, we are bound by confidentiality. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to reference some cases here, but I'm not going to give any confidential information like that, that's specific to a case or whatever. But when a, when a lawyer tells you you need to tell them everything, right. tell them everything. Tell them because everything. the standard in, in family court is the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're arguing or when you're advocating or when someone's advocating for a child, evidence laws, civil procedure and evidence laws still play a role. But I don't want to say they're lax. Um, but they're relaxed a little bit because if a judge needs to or thinks that he or she needs to hear about a certain fact in the background that determines who gets who gets the child mm-hmm. or who has to pay child support or anything like that, they're look that's what they're listening and looking for. So what an attorney will do is is put pleadings on file so that you have some type of defense on record. Okay. They'll keep certain facts out. Okay. If you told you, an attorney can't help you if you didn't tell them everything about right. the situation. Right. And they don't want surprise. Yeah, they don't want a surprise. Yeah. There's no way right. that sometimes we can object, but if we don't have a good basis for an objection, a judge can overrule it. Right. Hmm. Um, and the other issue um, that I've found is sometimes fathers don't know the status of their case. You've never actually looked at your order, right. at your sacker. What we call a SAPSA or you know a suit affecting a parent-child relationship, you never actually looked at it. You don't know if you're under temporary orders, right. or final orders. Okay, that all those matters. You don't know if you've already had a default judgment right. filed against you. Have you missed deadlines? Um, can you file and ask for um, a change in status? So these types of things is I've, I've encountered this a lot is that a father doesn't actually know right. what his rights I mean even on paper what his legal rights are you don't even right, know right. what your actual visitation schedule is right you so, think, you, so yeah. do you do you think it's best to uh, to have those initial consultations up front and then kind of have like a I guess walk you through the steps like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna do this. I mean, so, because a lot of fathers are confused. Mm-hmm. A right. lot of fathers are terrified of the process mm-hmm. because they've heard these horror stories and how things never work in their favor. Yeah. Like, like you mentioned, um, with my daughter, you know, I, I was kind of, um, I did my research. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we all go to Google. How but, much research did you really do? I did a lot of research. <laughs> there's a lot of it out there, so you, there's a lot, a lot to find. You yeah. know, and it's different for every state, mm-hmm. you know, okay. because, you, you know, especially like um, for me, I, you know, I come from an athletic background, so my first thought was, you know, all these athletes who had these babies and, you know, the, the mothers take them to the cleaners. <laughs> so, so you were thinking he was Kobe or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Kobe's without the shots. That diamond ring. But, uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, so, so do you believe that uh, family, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that uh, that the laws view fathers differently? Actually, I, I, I really don't. It is codified in the, in the U.S. Constitution. Well, basically, when, when through the Supreme Court mm. interpreting Constitution and in state and our state Constitution in Texas and in our code, that there is a presumption that both parents are, and but the, both parents have an access and custody of a child right. okay. is in their best interest. Right, right. When you go to court, there's actually a presumption you have to overcome. When you when when courts you know send out standard um, possession agreements or you know when they make possession agreements, barring some other evidence to the contrary, those agreements are made based on the, on the presumption that both parents as joint managing conservators are what's best for the child. 
Okay. As in, when you look at what that means, both of you have the right to determine, and you have to, and this, this basically, it basically forces you to co-parent, right? right. So yeah. both yeah. of you have the responsibility or the job of deciding when that child gets a passport, what type of religion he or she practices or what yeah. grows up in, where um, one parent, typically even in JMC, Joint Managing Services, Situation. One parent does usually have the right to determine residence, right. but but as far as schooling, um, where he or she gets to go, you know, does he get a phone? All of that, that kind of stuff. Those are joint parenting decisions that that court order usually like spells out. Right. Yeah. Both of you have access to those types of things. Right. And barring some type of you know agreed agreement between the two of you that's signed by a judge or you know that's legally binding or some other type of information, that's what's usually your, the presumption that you're overcoming. The only way to overcome a joint managing conservatorship ruling or something like that is if there's you know an assault in the background, um, primarily on any type of family violence, um, some types of criminal records. Okay. Um, your absence. Right. Say you have a court date and you don't show up to court. Mm-hmm. You a default judgment. I mean, to a judge, what that looks like, your absence there looks like, and you don't even have an advocate. Because sometimes, you know, as long as your lawyer's in court and you're not there, sometimes that works for you too. Right. But if you're not there, I don't see the judge is going to be like, you know, unless you know your child's mother is advocating for you, which is not her job. She doesn't right. have to. <laughs> which is the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And if she says, you know, I don't, he he doesn't want anything to do with them. I've never got the child support. He hasn't seen him. A judge has no choice to take it at her word because you don't have any pleadings on file. Right. You're not in court to advocate right. for yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. that's why it looks like courts don't don't push for fathers' rights. Huh. Mm-hmm. Because fathers aren't there advocating for themselves. They won't push or for themselves. Or they don't push much. for themselves. Yes. Or you know what, you show up in court and you think that you're gonna have to you're gonna have a moment to get your side of the story in. And the fact of the matter is what happened how did you is that you don't understand the court system. For your for you to have a case in front of the for, in front of the judge, okay. either your child's mother or your child's guardian, uh-huh. or the state itself, the attorney general, has to have filed a motion to oh. get you in court. And when they did that, they filed an affidavit that was either one to three to five to eight pages long about the situation. Okay. And you had an opportunity when you were served, you were supposed to file an answer. Right. Mm-hmm. When you file an answer, that or count or counterfile right. another petition that hmm. gives you an opportunity to tell what your side of the story is and make your own pleadings. Okay. That's what the judge is making his or her decision based off. If you didn't do that, you're not going to be able to get a word in. <laughs> so basically, I mean, it's all yeah. documentation. It's, mm-hmm. it's, who take, it's pretty much who takes the best notes. Right. Absolutely. And, and basically, <laughs> if you file an answer, if you file a general denial, and you don't, and usually that at least alerts the judge to, hey, this person has... You know, hey, why, why, why aren't the allegations in this petition true? But that judge is also assuming that you've read or had access to that right, to that yeah. petition, and typically that's not the case. Most most mm-hmm. men don't know to go on that they have to pay to get it downloaded, or to go don't know to go down to you know whatever court there was. Mm-hmm. Once you get something filed, it's going to tell you that case number. Okay. Right. Don't know to go look up that case number yeah. and try to get a copy of everything that's been filed about mm-hmm. that case. Huh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. You, teaching me you need to. Yeah. Because you need to know what 
things have already been found against you, what's already been said, right. what's what's not been said. These are the types of things that matter. And this is why we tell you, get a lawyer, because the lawyer's going to look at that and say, hey, we missed a deadline here. Yeah. Or we, need to file a different, we, we need to file a different form. Or, you know, you have seven days or 14 days within getting a citation to answer. You didn't answer. You got default judgment. And the rules are I have three days, 21 days, 14 days from, from, from this judgment to file an appeal, blah, 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 hmm. blah. And most men either don't know that, right. know it and don't want to go through it, or uh-huh. just, you know, think if I just show up, I'll get a word in. That's right. enough. And that's yeah, yeah. Not, not enough. enough. Huh. Most judges are going to be... I'm glad you're here, but, but you know what? You don't have any pleadings. You don't have any pleadings on file. Right. I can't. I don't. I'm not gonna. You know, yeah. I, men. You know, we just kind of speaking from a father's point mm-hmm. of view. Um, we let our emotions get in the way mm-hmm. in the beginning because we're like, pride is a big thing. Man, you know, you we, we like, um, we like, hey, we created this baby together. We should be fifty-fifty, and it mm, just does not work that way. It does not work that way. And you go in there with yeah. that mentality, like, well, why can't I see her on this day, or why can't I have her, like, you know, money through Thursday? Mm-hmm. You get her from, you know. You know, why are you the so-called, you know, and you get frustrated and you get upset and, you know, I mean, the law is, you know, the law is the law. Yeah. And here's the thing. You think that you'll never have the opportunity, but get, it, it is, it's the thing. Once you get, once you get in court, once mm-hmm. you're able to make your filings and your pleadings, most judges aren't going to make you hash this out in front of them doing that first, doing that first court case. They're going to look at this and they're going to decide, hey, from these pleadings, I get the feeling that this is what's going on. Right. Right. So I'm going to make these types of rulings. Because right. when you make these, when you file your pleadings, you're going to ask, usually you ask for a prayer at the end. If your prayer as a father is, I want access to my child. Okay. Um, and I want, basically, is, is even, I want access to my child. Okay. It's the biggest thing. Okay. And, or, you know, your, your child's mother says, Excuse me. It's okay. um, you're not paying child support, so you don't get to see hmm. your your child. Right. Even if you're under a court order that says, hey, this person still gets to end the visitation. Right. Let me make this very clear for parents or guardians who have physical custody of a child and are supposed to get child support from another parent or guardian, and that guardian is also supposed to get visitation. Hmm. Their visitation is not contingent on their ability or their timeliness with child support. Mm-hmm. That is a mutually binding court order. Right. You have to let your child, if that person has visitation and they're attempting to exercise it when the court order gives them the right to exercise it mm-hmm. and you don't let them, you're in violation of mm-hmm. the court order too. Yeah. Oh, wow, well, I didn't know that. Yes. It is not dependent on that person's ability to pay child support. Does that mean that there aren't consequences for not child, paying mm-hmm. child support? Absolutely not. Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. But you also are mutually bound by that agreement that mm-hmm. that person gets access to that child regardless of if they can pay child support. We'll get into why paying child support or what you can do when your child support is an issue um, later in some of these questions. Uh-huh. But um, if you want that and you're not getting it, it's your job as a father to go to court and say, hey, we, I have this court order where I'm supposed to have standard position of my child and she's not giving it to me. So take so, it to court. So the question I do have for you: mm-hmm. What experience of fathers with custodies um, or, or with custody disputes do you deal with? Like, um, what I'm trying to say is, like, what experience have you had with with, with them? Yeah, kids? I mean, I've had the one that breaks my heart the most is, and and I and there's going to be some lessons in here for some of you, is I had a father who had had who has had sole physical custody of his child for two and a half years, okay. and. Um, 
in that time did not go and and update his uh, attorney general support order. He was still under court order to pay child support to her. Right. Um, so he never went and changed that. He he hadn't made any move to get the court order changed to reflect that, that the child was in his physical custody um, until she filed because he went and filed an affidavit. When he finally did file an affidavit, mm-hmm. that he he got a, he got a letter about a, arrears from the from the attorney general and wasn't able to go f- uh, get his license renewed. Which, by the way, if you're behind on your child support and you're in arrearages. And, you're, and you haven't made an effort to call the attorney general, they can file a motion on their own behalf to sanction you either with money hmm. um, that can keep your keep you from being able to get your car registered or your license renewed, hmm. or if you uh, have a C, C, CDL license. Yeah. Uh, or you need any type of license to do your work. If you're a financial advisor and you need a license to do your work, if you're an attorney and you need a license <laughs> to do your work, right. the attorney general can file a motion to... to Kind of encumber that license, so that you're not able to practice and do the work that you that you need to do. Right. Um, yeah. But sliding that to the side, he hadn't done that. Huh. And mm-hmm. when she went to court uh, to enforce um, child support, it also she also at that time had in two years had never wanted anything to do with this child. Hmm. She also got custody of him in return. What? Um, and it's not because we. It's because also that person didn't follow up with me. Right. about getting into court. <laughs> and right. I'm not, I mean, most attorneys aren't going to work for free. We're right, gonna, right. If we want us to, we're going we're gonna to refer you to legal aid. Yeah. And there are a lot of legal aid offices in Texas, but legal aid yeah. of, of, yeah. of North Texas will def- definitely takes those types of cases. Okay. Um, that's also a resource if you guys, if for you guys listening. Right. There is a legal aid, there are several legal aid offices in the North Texas area that take these types of cases if you cannot right. afford to get a private attorney. Right. Okay. You know, actually, just kind of touching on that really, really mm-hmm. quickly. Uh, there's a there's a website that I went to mm-hmm. uh, when I first got started with mm-hmm. the, my proceedings. It's called uh, FathersForKids.com, and just really quickly, it's headquartered here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the largest and most active father right organizations in the U.S. Uh, they're nonprofit, but they do things like free access to attorneys. You can get uh, discounted with uh, process services, discounted DNA testing. DNA testing. You, you need that. <laughs> yes, Go get. Hey, if, even if you know that kid is yours, you still need, you still need to go get a DNA test. Yeah. You need to do it because at the end of the day, if it turns out that it's not yours, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Well, the other part of that is while we say that is if you want to have access to your child, right? Um, there are three ways to make sure that you're. In, if anything happens with your child, say they're arrested. Um, they get involved in um, child protective services system, or uh, someone tries to say they're in the foster system and, and you're not available. You either you know you're serving time, you're in the military or something like that. They end up in the system. The way that that our legal services systems works with, with CPS or anything like that is mm-hmm. who's the if they can't find a parent either via birth certificate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, being on the birth certificate does not guarantee you paternal rights. By right. the way, guys. Right. Yeah. Um, what you need to do, <laughs> or if, if you if you've got someone pregnant and you're not really certain about their uh, reliability or their ability to tell you the truth about when they're having a child or if they're going to give that child up for adoption, yeah. Texas does have what's called a putative father registration system. Okay. And what this does is, is while that person is pregnant or within 31 days of them having a child, you can go on this website huh. and provide your information um, so that if that per- that child is put up for adoption. Yes. You require notice before someone can adopt this child. Right. What's the name um, of the website? It's 
you can actually find the link through the Texas Health and Human Services website. Okay. Um, or just type in Texas Putative, P-U-T-A-T-I-V-E, father website. And there's one in almost every state because it happens a lot. Huh. Yeah, that kids are given up for adoption or kids are, or are, you know, rights to them are given to someone else without a father being notified because the state doesn't know that they're... To hear the full episodes, go to Apple iTunes or Podbeam and download episodes 9 and 10, Hey Mama and Daddy's Lessons.